you will, please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, we'll begin in verse 1. Uh, this morning, you can find Acts 3 on page 911 on the Bibles we provided, either on your row or below the seats in front of you. do encourage you to have God's Word open because we're going to be looking very carefully at uh, this story uh, in order to understand what God has uh, for us this morning. If you don't have uh, a copy of God's Word, please uh, take one of those Bibles home. Uh, we, we would, there, there's no better gift we think we can give you than God's powerful Word, so we'd love for you to have it. Um, that, that last verse was surprising. Where did Brad go? It's right here. He gone. Um, yeah, we, we thought we were going to come in a little bit earlier, and that was just so fitting. Um, because when the, when the disciples showed up that day to the tomb, they weren't expecting uh, what they found either, that the stone had been rolled away. Um, I was reminded this morning of something I'm not reminded enough of, and that's how thankful I am for all those who serve in this church. And uh, this music team has, um, they, they got up really early this morning to do another service at 7 this morning, and then transferred all this equipment back up here. And they lead us so thoughtfully, so skillfully. And so if you haven't thanked them lately, please do that at some point soon. And there's people back there who are doing things that no one ever sees. And so we're just grateful for how the Lord has provided for our church in rich ways. Um, we're, we're in the book of Acts as a church. And I, I don't know what you, you came here expecting on Easter Sunday to hear. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you in on the, the, this experience as a preacher. I, I have some awareness that people you know, or expecting some, you know, new take on the resurrection that they had not heard or whatever. And uh, um, um, you may be disappointed because uh, we're just going to continue on in what we normally do as a church. We're in the book of Acts, and so we're going to continue in on the book of Acts. The reason for that is because I think the Lord knows better what you need to hear than I do. So this is not a a word that I've come up with. This is just the next passage, and I think we're going to see that it's really fitting for Easter. Sunday. So Acts chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 10. Let's go to the Lord again in prayer, and then let's hear from him. Oh God, what we are doing is unnatural. It may be common every week for us to gather together. On Sunday, it may be uncommon for some to gather for worship. But for no one, is this common. You are holy. You are mighty. Whenever the people who experience you come into your presence, they don't look casual. They are terrified and they're glorifying you because in coming into your presence, we experience something we can't experience anywhere else. We pray great prayers That even if our souls and hearts feel like a wilderness and a dry land, that you would make us glad in the empty grave of your son. Oh God, we are asking for you to do what only you can do. I cannot do it. No preacher can do it. We are asking that you would cause us to leap in our souls because of who Christ is and what he has done. And we pray that. In his name, and we pray that with total confidence that he 
does this very thing. And he will answer this morning from his place on the throne. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you are able to stand and read God's word, I would invite you to do that. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10 is the text. Uh, This is a word uh, straight from heaven to us this morning. Christ, our Lord, is speaking through His Spirit because He loves us. This word, Acts 3, verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man... Lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them. Walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking. And praising God and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You may be seated. If I could give you one piece of advice out of this passage this morning, this is it. If you ever get to meet a witness of the resurrection, don't just ask for alms. That's the sermon in a sentence or the gospel truth that the whole passage is teaching. Should you ever meet a witness of the resurrection, don't just ask that person for alms. If we're going to understand the story, we need to remember what we have seen so far as a church in the book of Acts. Jesus has been raised and Jesus is reigning as king, but he is doing his mighty work through his witnesses. Those who have witnessed him as the risen Lord Jesus, those who saw him go into heaven. He is pouring out his Immense power through them. So maybe it will help you to kind of get into the story, to imagine what would I ask from someone who had witnessed the effects of Easter. If I were to actually run into someone who had witnessed the 
effects of Easter, what would I ask them? It would help you to imagine what you might ask them if you were to ask yourself, if I could ask the Almighty for anything, what would it be? If you, right now, could ask the Almighty for anything, what would it be? Well, we learn what it should be from this passage. Point number one, verses one through five, we see the lame looking for a little. Point number one, verses one through five, this man is looking for just a little. Look in verses one and two. I I want us to see a beautiful fate. A beautiful fate. Now, um, if you're here in my church, you, you know that um, I, I pretty frequently go on prayer walks. I've found that um, meeting with the Lord, it just helps me to get outside and walk. And so I'm, you, you may see me around town walking and, and, and praying. And sometimes after I leave on any given day, I might feel like, if it weren't for what I was doing at the moment, I might feel like I've just taken my life into my hands. Um, If, for example, Justin were to round the corner in his truck, I think my life's about to end whenever I'm going on prayer walks. I want to kind of set the the setting for the story in verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 is a camera angle, and then verse 2 is a different camera angle. Imagine this. You're, you're watching a, a, a film, and, and the, the first camera angle, you hear Graham High School bell rings for the end of the day, and some new driver, I'm going to look over here for this, uh, some new driver gets in their pickup, and, and they're racing down my street of Brazos. You guys need to slow down. But just imagine in this story, they're racing down Brazos Street, and they're playing on their phones, you know how they do. And directly in front of them is some goofy preacher crossing the street. And he doesn't seem to be paying much attention to anything at the moment. That's camera angle number one. And then camera angle number two. Superman. Just happens to be making the rounds over Graham America. And he's flying over the streets looking for some good to do. That is the drama of verses 1 and 2, but they happen in the opposite order. Verse 1 is where we see, look, look here, we see two supermen who are going up to the temple to pray at 3 in the afternoon. And then in verse 2, camera angle 2, there's this man who is born crippled. Think about camera angle one. This man is born crippled and he's being carried to the same place at the same time to ask whoever I see entering the temple for some help. That is the drama of our story. If you were to see your pastor praying in town, if you're a member of this church, you can just trust, I'm probably praying for you. And so you should be concerned when I do that and what's going on in the streets. If the maniacs have been let loose uh, from school, you might be thinking, oh no, not now, pastor. Oh wait, 
There's Superman. Will he see my beloved pastor in time? That's the drama of verses 1 and 2. There's about to be this collision that happens between the powerful and the pitiful. Verse 1, we see these two powerful men who we've just been watching in chapter 2 get filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in languages they've never spoken. Peter is so courageous with the courage of the Lord Jesus that he looks right in the eyes of thousands of Jews and said, God raised Jesus of Nazareth, who you killed. And then, right after that, this group of the guilty gets saved. Thousands of them. And at the end of the chapter, we are told in verse 43 that Jesus is pouring out wonders and awe and these powers that he's using through these men. A couple sentences later, they're walking up to the temple and there's a pitiful man there. The question that our story exists to answer is, what will the lame get whenever he asks alms from apostles? What's going to happen when this collision occurs? And... This is a beautiful fate. The very opening words of our book, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, say, Luke, the author, says, Theophilus, I'm writing this to you, and this is the second book I've written. The first book was about what Jesus began to do and teach. The implication is that this second book is what Jesus, who died and who's been raised and has ascended into heaven, is continuing to do and teach. So all the drama we're witnessing in verses 1 and 2 is something Jesus is orchestrating. And friend, Jesus is orchestrating your life. And all the pitiful circumstances He is reigning over. And there are moments when He faithfully causes us to encounter surprisingly with his power. This is what Jesus is doing. And Christian, you can trust that your Lord knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing in the pitiful circumstances of your life. Verses 3 through 5, Peter asks or says, look who you're asking. Verses 3 through 5, Peter says to this man, look who you're asking. I want you to see this in each of the next three verses. Verse 3, verse 4, verse 5. Notice this. The first half of the verse has to do with someone seeing something. Look there. And then right after, because of what they see, it determines what they do. So, uh, verse 3. The lame sees... And spiels. Now, the beautiful gate is a good place to panhandle. Doesn't this make sense? The temple of God, if you're going to ask for mercy. And, and, and there's no better time than the prayer hour. The, this man has come at that hour thinking, well, look, if these people pray to the God who is filled with mercy, these are probably the most merciful people on earth. So I should come at that time. And ask for help. 
What I want you to see in verse 3 is what he sees and what he doesn't see. Verse 3, it is clear from how the story goes that all he sees is just two men, just two guys who are coming. And if they're two regular guys, the regular spiel will do. And so he says something like, excuse me, sirs, I've never walked a day in my life. Could you spare a few tokens of mercy? Could you spare a few alms? Could you throw me some silver and gold to show me some mercy? But then, right after that, the witnesses of Jesus stare and show. They stare and show. I remember one day when I was in high school, Tiffany Amber Thiessen, some of you will know this name, uh, the Saved by the Bell star was signing autographs at this local mall. And there were really long lines of teenagers who were waiting to get these autographs. Well, there was this kid in my school who started to think about this. And, and what he was thinking was, look who I'm asking. Uh, he didn't, in other words, he, he didn't, think it made much sense, he would never have this chance again, why would he ask Kelly Kapowski to sign a napkin? And so this kid said, when he got up to her, will you go to homecoming with me? And as the story goes, she said, oh, I'm sorry, I'll be filming that day. And this cheeky kid said, "Uh, your producers will understand. Verse 4, notice the difference in the look that Peter gives to him. Peter, the apostle, looks intently at who is asking. My guess is that Peter, who we already know, is filled with the power of Jesus. In that moment, like we saw in Luke chapter 7, would have been filled with that kind of pity of Jesus. And Peter looks intently at the situation and he sees this is an opportunity to witness. This is an opportunity to show that Jesus greatly loves the lame. And so in verse 4, he says, I see you. Do you see us? You're just asking us what you ask everyone. Look who you're asking. Don't don't ask so little from us just because you ask everyone else the same thing. He says, look at us. We're the ones who have seen the tomb, Peter and John. They're the ones who raced to the tomb that day. They're the ones who came in and saw that Jesus was not there. And and, and so he he says, I know you saw us coming and you gave us your spiel, but look at us. Don't ask us for tokens. Verse 5. The lame finally focuses on who he's asking. And then into verse 5, he's expecting to receive something. 
from them? Should you ever meet a witness of the resurrection, don't just ask for alms. Point number two. Point number one was he's looking for a little. And point number two is his mercy is more. Verses six through ten. His mercy is more. Look in verses six and seven. The lame, surely at this point, he's expecting to receive something. And Peter says in verses 6 and 7, what I got, I give. And it is more than he could have asked or imagined. He would never have dreamed to ask anyone of this much. He would not have even imagined this man who was born lame to ask for what Peter ends up giving. And he says, what I got, I give, rise. Now, my goal is to make us wonder. I can't make us wonder. My goal, my hope is that the Lord will make us wonder at the resurrection this morning and to use this text to do it. And if we are going to appreciate the wonder of this, it's not just a story, this happened, then we need to understand a couple of things. Number one, there is a relationship between sin and sickness. There's a relationship between sin and sickness. And number two, the resurrection of Jesus and the raising of the lame are connected. First of all, the man was born lame because of sin. He was born lame because of sin. That is the explanation for why this man was born like this. On the day that our father, Adam, of Adam and Eve. When he ate that forbidden fruit, God said, on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. He died that day spiritually. Here's the connection I need you to see. He died spiritually. And his spiritual condition started to have physical effects. And so he started to die physically. Physical death and all that leads to it. All the diseases that we are born with, all of that comes from that one act of obedience. You can trace it all the way back to sin. This man is sick because of sin. I'm not saying necessarily his sin. I'm not necessarily saying because of his parents' sin. But there would be no disease in this world. There would be no difficulty in this world if there were not disobedience. Second, Easter addresses all the consequences of sin. Easter addresses all the consequences of sin. You could say it this way. All the bad comes from our dad, Adam. But we could have no good. We could have no good. I don't know how you explain the good in your life. Let Hear this. We could have no good if God's son did not become our brother. When John the Baptist, who Jesus describes as the best man who ever lived, whenever he's rotting in Herod's cell, he's in prison. And when he's rotting in prison, he starts to wonder. We heard it earlier in Luke 7. He says, Jesus, are you the Savior we've been waiting for or not? 
Jesus or John, John is sitting in prison about to be beheaded. And he's wondering, look, I just got the news that you raised some dead stranger, but you haven't freed me from all my suffering. What's the deal? Are you the savior we should wait for? Or should we move on and wait for another? And Jesus goes on to say, do not be offended by what he chooses not to do in your life. Jesus, in that hour, causes the blind to see and the lame to walk. And he sends a message to John. Obviously, I'm the Savior. In other words, springing his buddies from short suffering is too small a thing for so great a Savior. And asking for alms when you need ankles is too small a thing to ask from men who have this power. Verse 6, Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The witnesses of the risen Lord Jesus are performing wonders in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, which means By His authority and with His power, Jesus is raising up this man through Peter. And Peter gets an opportunity in our next passage. Look in verses 12 through 16 of chapter 3. Peter explains, why are you so surprised by the power that was just poured out through my word in the name of Jesus? It wasn't by my own power, verses 12 through 16. It is through faith in the name of Jesus. Jesus, the one who you crucified on Good Friday, God has raised him from the dead and therefore he is pouring out power through him. Listen. The physical nature of this healing is teaching a spiritual lesson. Think about the cross. It is entirely appropriate that crucifixion is brutal. We have a term called excruciating because of the crucifixion of Jesus. It is excruciatingly painful because it is a picture, and it's real, but it's a picture of Jesus spiritually paying for sin of Him being forsaken by the Father for all the sins of all the people that Jesus would save. The physical is a picture of the the more real reality of what's going on spiritually. Jesus is fixing the problem of sin on behalf of God and therefore God, seeing His Son do all of His work perfectly, raises Him from the dead and He proves That Jesus' sacrifice is enough to satisfy God and cleanse the guilty. And so, if Jesus defeated death, He didn't just die and stay dead. He got back up, defeating it. He conquered it for all who believed in Him. 
if sin's greatest and ultimate consequence of death is dealt with, here's the point, then all the lesser consequences will be done away with. Blindness, deafness, every handicap. Redeemer Church, we should give what we've got. We should give to others what we've got. The best we have to give better not be temporary tokens of worldly comfort. And if you're visiting this morning, I'm glad you're visiting. And you can hear from the pulpit, the best we have to offer you are not temporary tokens of worldly comfort. There are lots of churches you can find that will give you temporary tokens of worldly comfort. I, I want us to see as a church that there is a power that apostles had that we as the witnesses of Jesus' resurrection do not today have. And this is all on purpose. Jesus is doing wonders and miracles through them at that time so that they can help us understand all that Easter means. When Easter is starting to be explained, all this power is going out to start illustrating what it means. That the bloody cross and the empty tomb produce power. Easter promises the full restoration of all that is wrong with our world. One day, that work of restoring everything that is wrong, one day it's going to all be complete. And this day in Acts chapter 3, it's beginning with raising a lame man by the resurrection of Jesus. We don't need to have that power today. We don't need to have apostles today. We don't need to experience and see that today to believe that it happened because we have this book that tells us and explains it to us. So Redeemer Church, we're not called to give what we don't have. And we shouldn't have an ounce of embarrassment that we don't have what the world can give them. Let the world give them those things. The world doesn't have what we have. If you are a witness of the Lord Jesus, if you've experienced what it means to be dead in your sin, and to think God is boring, and then all of a sudden to see Him as glorious and worthy of your life. If you experience the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, do not just give alms. As if that's all that person needs. Or as if that's the best you got. Listen, when Peter explains this healing in the next passage, he tells us what the best blessing is that we have to give. He ends the chapter with it. Look at chapter 3, verse 26. God, having raised his servant on Easter, sent him to you Jews first, and now to us Gentiles, to bless you. What is the blessing of Easter? It's to be turned away from wickedness. It's to be turned away from sin and selfishness. It's to be saved from hell. That's what we can give. And that's what we should give. Verses 8 through 10. This was more than they bargained for. What he got was far more 
than he bargained for. What the crowd got when they showed up to the temple at the hour of prayer was far more than they bargained for. Verse 8, I want you to see that this lame man does three things he had never done before. Number one, he's walking. He's walking. He is walking. Luke wants this to set in because he says it three times. He, the one who was carried there that day and every day before, is walking. The second thing is he's going places he had never been. By this point, the Jews had expanded God's command. God said, If a man is born lame, he can't be a priest. And at this point in time, uh, the Jews had expanded this to prevent any lame, crippled person from going any closer to God than the gate. He has just asked for tokens of mercy. And verse 8, he enters into the temple. And so, number three, he's feeling joy that he has never known. He's praising God in the presence of God. He cannot believe that this has happened. Of all people, he understands how much God has just done. He's not just walking. He leaps up. The first thing he does with new ankles is he jumps to his feet and then he stands and then he starts walking and he's leaping in. And there's a reason Luke says the word leap and there's a reason why he was leaping. It's because the promise from hundreds of years before in Isaiah 35, this man has just received. He knows that he has received full restoration from Christ. He knows that he is now back in the presence of the Lord. He, for the first time, gets to go inside the temple. In other words, he is leaping up and down because he knows that his sin has not separated him anymore. His sickness has not separated him anymore from God. And so he's leaping up and down saying, Hallelujah, I get to be with God. He's totally undignified. This is totally an appropriate display of joy that we should all always have if we've been forgiven by Christ. If you showed up at the Texas Capitol, the Texas State Capitol building, and you saw our governor running up, running up, those grand staircases, you would be filled with wonder. Because Greg Abbott is not just known for his convictions. We know our governor for his wheelchair. And that's what's going on in verses 9 and 10. The congregation at that prayer meeting is responding like the congregation at that funeral in Luke chapter 7. That when they saw Jesus say, Arise. And that boy got out of his coffin. They were filled with fear. And they glorified God. 
in our passage, the congregation that made it to the prayer meeting that day is full and overflowing spontaneously with this wonder and amazement. They're all saying to one another, that's the guy. You know that guy. We've seen him there at the gate for decades. And look at him now. Now, he's not asking men for tokens. He's praising God for healing. They've never seen it. If you're here, and Easter is not like a normal Sunday, and Jesus is not the high point of your life, you have an opportunity this morning to ask the Lord Jesus for something. And you would be a fool if you just asked for alms. In Luke's expert opinion, what's just happened is a medical marvel. Dr. Luke has already told us this man has never taken a single step In his life, if you look in chapter 4, verse 22, you see this man was more than 40 years old. Um, And in the English, you can see that very clearly. He's my age. In the Greek, I'll tell you what that means is he's good as dead. Uh, He's really, really old. And he's never once taken a step. He would never ask for this. He would never imagine this. He's at the end of his pitiful life. And this doctor, whenever Peter in verse 6 sees him and is filled with the compassion of Christ, he takes his right hand after he's already given him the command. Maybe maybe this man, he's so dejected, he's so old, he's never taken it. it, once, Once Peter says... I have no silver or gold. He's heard that before. He, he just tunes out the rest of what he's saying. He said, arise, didn't even hear him. Or maybe he just was not fool enough to dare to believe that Peter meant it. But Peter takes his right hand and he immediately has feet and ankles that are made strong. Listen, you may think, and, and the enemy wants you to think, and this world will make you think, and your friends will make you think that your greatest problem in your life is your bank account or your health or some relationship problems. Those are only symptoms. They're only symptoms of brokenness. You are sick with sin. That is what's going to kill you. That's going to take you into the presence of God and you will be sent to hell forever if you stand there by yourself. But if you turn To the Lord Jesus, He will forgive you. This man learns that Jesus has more mercy than the best men in this world. Ankles are far better than alms, but listen, forgiveness is far better than feet. You don't just need... Look who you're asking. Look who you're asking. When you're asking and praying, what are you praying for? A hundred years? Millions of dollars, food, travel, sex. Those are tokens. They're temporary. They will not last. John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, can help us 
Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. Don't ask heaven's God for gold that'll get you by. What you should come here today and ask for is a healing that will get you in, into his presence and leap for joy because Christ is risen from the grave. And if you trust in him, you can have it. There's a famous story of Alexander the Great. At the time, you know, Alexander the Great was the conqueror of the world. And so he had lots and lots of money. And he had lots and lots of faithful and loyal generals and soldiers. And one of his generals who had fought faithfully for him for a long time, came up to him and said, you know, my oldest daughter is getting married. Would you be willing to pay for her wedding? And Alexander the Great, out of gratitude, said, yes. Just go and plan it. And so he goes and plans it, but he has to go to the treasurer and actually say, I need this for this, I need this for this, I need this for this. And the treasurer is writing down all the expenses, and he quickly realizes this is going to be the most lavish wedding that Greece has ever known. And he starts to think that this general is taking advantage of Alexander the Great. So he, he goes away from the general and goes to Alexander the Great, and he says, he is taking advantage of your kindness. And Alexander the Great said, give it to him. Do whatever he asks. Because my general pays me two compliments. Number one, he actually thinks I'm rich enough to afford this. And number two, he thinks I'm gracious enough to give it. Every one of us experiences moments of pouting. Like like kids who are at putt-putt who've run out of tokens and they're just watching everyone else play. And, and you, you may even this morning, and certainly I in various, various seasons of my life, I, I feel like I'm just sitting spiritually and, and, and like I'm just begging for something more to happen where I've lost the leap of joy Let's remember, we, we should be leaping. And the way to get the leap back is not from eggs. It's not from candy. It's not from get-togethers with family. It's not from gold or anything else that Jesus has not given you. Those things have nothing to do with Easter. But the word we have at the end of our passage that the crowd is feeling is ecstasy. Ecstasy comes for us from the same place it came for them. If you want to leap for joy, I I, I don't have anything else but what God's word tells us it comes from. Ecstasy is born from Easter. It's from being forgiven By a holy God. He is more pure. He is more powerful. 
than you have dared to imagine. You are more guilty and filthy, and so am I, than you have realized in your greatest guilt. And we can be forgiven by Him at the cost of the death of His beloved Son. All for the blessing of being with that God forever in His presence. That's where ecstasy comes from. Forgiveness is the grand prize of Easter. That's the best. So, should you ever meet a witness of the resurrection, don't just ask for alms. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And we pray that the ransomed of Christ would come with singing and everlasting joy would be upon our heads. And that we would obtain gladness and joy. And that all of our sorrow and sighing will flee away. And we know that 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 day for the fullness of that is coming. It's not today. And yet we pray for a taste of the reality of it. Fill us with gladness and joy because our Christ is risen. And he loves us. And he knows what he's doing with our lives. And we ask this in his name. Amen.